I guess I just wanted to call and say that I have had panic attacks and anxiety and depression for as long as I can remember. And I guess I can say I finally have a, I finally can manage it, but I just think it's important to talk about. And anytime I'm able to do that, I definitely do because I don't understand why people don't talk about it. It's such a real thing. So one of, I guess, my examples is I get a lot of anxiety um, almost always when something is scheduled on my calendar or unscheduled. So even calling in right now, I get anxious and um, a little shaky, a little nervous until I find my, you know, rhythm. And then I get panic attacks almost every single holiday. So every time I have to see my family, my parents, um, just a lot of shit going on there. Anytime I need to, you know, be with the family as one big piece, that always triggers a a moment where I definitely have a panic attack. And then the other thing I wanted to give you an example about was um, after I had my first child, I definitely had postpartum depression, anxiety, um, and that was probably one of the darkest, hardest times just because you're already going through all these pregnancy hormones and all these crazy things, lack of sleep, and it's just, it was really hard. So um, with my second, it wasn't as bad, but I it's been almost three years now after her, and I feel like I'm finally catching my breath, not panicking as much, not constantly just, I'm not constantly in a state of anxiety, if that makes sense. We share our stories to feel less alone. And people dare to share their stories with us. Don't talk about it. Shh. I hope nobody finds out. I am so weird. I can't believe I just did that. You're not weird. And you're not bad. You're human. Welcome, Welcome to, to Striptease. Strip okay, so postpartum depression. I, I really want to go through that postpartum piece there for a bit. With the birth of my first son, I didn't experience any postpartum, although I was going through a really terrible breakup. The father of my my first son basically didn't want anything to do with me or the baby. And so, you know, I, I spent the first pregnancy alone. I did not experience any postpartum depression. And you would think with that going on that I would experience it. It was with the birth of my second child. And postpartum depression is really not something that people talk a lot about, especially women. Women won't even go to their gynecologist or their OBGYN and say, hey, this is what I'm experiencing because they're scared that somebody's going to take the baby away, that they're going to be seen as an unfit mother. And here is what I experienced in my postpartum. I remember walking down the stairs with my infant and imagining dropping him. In my head, I would play out scenarios of actually dropping the baby. And I don't know if it was a want that I wanted or if it was just whatever, but that that's the imagery that came to my mind. And I said to myself, I'm scared. I'm scared of me. I'm scared of what could happen. And I would hold on to him even tighter. And it became a, a stressor for me because I wasn't trusting myself as a mother to do inherently what mothers do, supposedly, right? 
So this went on for um, a few months. And then after I stopped breastfeeding, it cropped up again where I would have these feelings of losing him in some sort of way. Now, it wasn't because I didn't love him. It was I loved him, but there were things that were going on in my head that I just couldn't connect to, that I thought I was going crazy, and there was no one I wanted to reach out to because I was afraid they were going to take my child away. So going back to the anxiety and depression, with the hormones and everything else that is going on at the time, I completely understand what this woman is is talking about. I would love to hear actually more about some of the experiences or thoughts that she had in her mind because we'll say it as kind of a blanket statement I'm going through postpartum, but women aren't actually talking about what it is that they're feeling, the the images that they're getting in their heads because of that fear. So to me, this goes even deeper than just the conversation of anxiety and depression. This is your mind is fucked up. You've got hormones raging. You're, you've got, you know, breast milk leaking out. You've got all these things, lack of sleep, blah, 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 blah. And on top of it, you have these so-called crazy thoughts. That is also extremely normal, and I really wish that more women would talk about it. Well, here's a fun little ditty. First of all, uh, the woman who called in, um, I love you. <laughs> Holidays and scheduling, oh my God, I get my panties at a bunch too, and there's a reason I, I have for that, and I'm completely the same. I become a history hysterical homosexual with these things. Um, so I'll talk about that for a second. But about the postpartum, look, I, I have a penis proudly, and I, I'm gay, but and I'm not a woman, so I can't speak to that. But I can speak to this fun little story. My mother, when she killed herself, cue the confetti, she uh, left behind these diaries. And in the diaries, she wrote in there this true story about how when my sister was a child, she tried to kill her as a baby. And she was taken to a mental hospital. And it was very Lady Macbeth, you know, <laughs> read this. And my mother was still alive at the time. And I asked her, did you really try to kill Pam? And uh, she said, yeah, I wanted to murder her. And I said, why? And she goes, well, well, therapy helped me to understand that, you know, when my mother was a... So it can always be traced back somewhere, you know, if you really go deep, I think. And with my mother, my grandmother was the town, they called her a harlot back then. My mother called her a whore. And she used to sleep with strange men in front of my mother as a child. My mother used to have to watch her mother have sex with strange men. Mm. So her viewpoint of being a mother was completely fucked up, which is why my childhood was just, like, wild. So in terms of postpartum depression, my mother was just kind of hearing that concept when she was alive, and she was like, <laughs> she's like, I don't know if it's depression or not, but it was a pain in the fucking ass raising a kid and having a job. So I think it was just me trying to manage it. So whether all this depression stuff. I don't understand it, but I just know it was overwhelming to me. And I also, all my shit about my childhood came rearing up when I had Pam, the first child. And Pam, God bless my sister, she's the one that suffered the most in our family, really, I think, in some ways, and she would agree. Uh, marrying men who held gun to her heads, and I mean, my family is like, you know, Eugene O'Neill, like an IMAX, so, you know, that's a whole thing. But postpartum depression, I can't talk to. But if I can, if I can pivot for a second about family and about scheduling holidays, look, I'm just, I'm always going to say family's more trouble than they're worth, except for my sister, Joy. I got to be honest, this whole idea about family first, like, when I saw, like, when I saw Fast and the Furious, I thought, really? The whole thing's about putting your family before everybody else. Ah, screw that. I'd drive away in the car. And I know that I'm not supposed to say that, but I think this whole idea about family first, no, we're first. Blood before everyone I just, I don't have a connection with that. So I mm -hmm. think a lot of us, it's the shame 
about saying you're supposed to be a, a, a afraid to tell people you don't feel love for your child. You don't feel this connection to family thing. It's this going to Hallmark and not having a card that speaks to you. It's this thing about you're supposed to be so about family. So when she talks about holidays and she talks about scheduling, dear heart, who's listening to this, really what's going on is because my sister used to be like this, so we've talked a lot about this. You learn somewhere along the line that you can't trust that things are going to work out and be okay, so you're holding really hard into a way to function that doesn't operate anymore. So you're you're, you're afraid that if you don't schedule and things fall apart that it's not going to work out somehow, that you owe something to family and you don't. You owe something to yourself. So that's that's really what's going on. The surface is the scheduling stuff. It's It's freeing yourself to give yourself permission to admit – I don't really trust that things are going to work out. And, and that's cool. That's the uncertainty thing we talked about. Right. And then with holidays, <laughs> well, everyone's a hot mess. Some people are like a Norman Rockwell painting. God bless them. I, I, I envy them going, go sledding, have a hot chocolate. You know, I'm in the corner drinking whiskey and, you know, hoping it'll pass. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I would rather do holidays by myself and say, okay, well, no, I'm not going to do Christmas with anybody this year. I don't feel like it. Same thing with Mother's Day. I'm like, today is actually Mother's Day. That means mothers get to do what the hell they want. Go to the park, guys. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, sometimes that's okay. To But, of course, going back to the supposed tos and should ofs and and should be and all that other bullshit. But going back to like, and I'm going to go back to the motherhood thing, a lot of it for me was really not feeling worthy enough to be a mother or not trusting myself to be a good one. Mm -hmm. And so that also shows up, and this is going back to the holidays, when you walk into the room and your family's there, what are they expecting of me? Right. What am I going to be the good daughter this year or, or, you know, whatever those constructs that you've got in your head of showing up there. Sometimes it's not just about getting the plates done of food and everything else. It's really like, oh, I've got to go deal with my mother's shit or my father's going to expect this from me. Or, you know, you, you have a very a variety of roles that you're trying to fit into when you go to a holiday dinner. Well, that's the perfect thing. You don't have to fulfill any role. You don't have to be anything right. to anybody. And and even my sister and I say we don't want to have a shitty Christmas again because we had so many of them. Right. My mother would say, what do you want for Christmas? And I would tell her. And then she would give me a box of the exact size, weight, and proximity of what I asked for. And inside would be a single sock. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that fucked me up as a kid. Yeah. So as an adult, we keep trying to have a happy Christmas. But there's always a moment where I'll catch my sister's eyes because I have yet to find a new husband. Someday when I find a husband, he's going to get a whole mess of me at the holidays. And a moment hits where I feel that residual. It's like um, Thich Nhat Nin. I love when he said this moment. That we're connected to the generations of our family before us. There's a, an indiscernible but discernible emotional psychic connection between our past. So when we heal ourselves, we heal our, the generations before us, which is what's so beautiful. When they say break the chain of pain, mm-hmm. there's something really beautiful about knowing that taking full ownership of our emotional well-being actually heals the pain of our previous generations. But that means to acknowledge the pain of our previous generations. And I think it does live within us, even though it's not us, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Those are the legacies that we pass down. Mm. Sometimes legacies can be great, right? You you made a gazillion dollars in your life. You pass those down and trust for your kids. That's fantastic. There's also other things that we we pass down in our legacies. And so I think that's really what you're speaking to is, is cutting off that umbilical cord to our our past pains. Chewing it off, chewing it, throwing it out. <laughs> those are those meaty bits we were talking about, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, making that conscious decision to take a look at, 
you know, right now in this moment, how can I break that chain? And so going forward, I'm not going to pass that legacy down. And I think that's amazing. And if you take a look at the legacies in your family, the good and the bad, you can really make a conscious decision to, to stop it now. Well, it's like what we said, fuck shame, fuck the shame. Acknowledge you feel shameful. Acknowledge that you feel like you have nobody else you can talk to during the holidays about how fucked up your family is. But acknowledge that that's what makes us gifted. You and I talk about this, right? Mm -hmm. The stuff that we think fucks us up is what makes us gifted. That's what makes us gifted. Yep, absolutely. So, so we think that being abused as a kid, having an alcoholic mother or father, a drug addict, being homeless, all of which I've been, that that's what makes you fucked up. But that actually is what makes you amazing. I completely, completely agree. But and we, don't, we don't know that yet, though. I well, sometimes, think... sometimes we do. Sometimes we get it. Sometimes we get it, and then we can use it. But yeah. we also go back and we cycle back to our automatics, right? So the automatic of, um, for me, it's not being good enough. So I will enter into a conversation sometimes, and I will notice my automatic of not being good enough, and I will show up the smaller self, right, until I acknowledge that that's what's happening, and then I can choose to do something different. Which yeah, but is you ramp up, though. Like in our friendship, you ramp up. Like I see that place in you where you're trying to find your footing, mm -hmm. and you then you ramp up, and then when the momentum gets going and you get really going and you become unapologetic, like that time we had – um. What was that fucking thing where I almost like pooped my pants? It was so hot. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> the noodle shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, uh, ramen. Yeah. Oh, my God. Ramen's so good. Of course, you know good ramen. And it was like fabulous. And I remember thinking as we talked, you just got into a rampage. And, and suddenly it built this amazing force within you. And I could feel it. You were kind of like not sure. And you told me you were in a place that wasn't great. Right. And then you just sort of suddenly like became this, this, this beautiful creation of who you want to be. And it, that you rampage that way. So I've seen that in you. Yeah, and I'm actually okay with that. I notice that I do it. I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm going in with, but I know that I'll ramp up also. And if I don't feel like it and I cut back down, because like you said, I grow a set of balls sometimes and all of a sudden my voice will get deep. I'm okay with those shifts within a conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's really saying, hey, you know what? I may not stay consistent throughout a conversation, but I'm okay with that too. And it's it's interesting going back just a second Walking into the holidays, because we were talking about that, how much of that is an expectation of how these people are going to show up or how they're going to be different? What does that mean? Perfect example. So my father was going to come to, he was coming to visit for a month. And I had this expectation that he was going to be a different father. I, I don't know why. He's been consistently the same type of father always. Which is? Very opinionated, judgmental. To a detrimental degree? Sometimes, yes, if I allow it to be. Right. So that's on me to allow. But, um, well, yes. give yourself a break. I mean, come on. Sometimes those narcissists are hard to hold back. Is he a narcissist? No, he doesn't tend to be a narcissist. He's just really, he's the type of father that says, if I give you a compliment or I say that you did a great job, then you're going to stop doing whatever you're doing. So, yes, he's that he's that type, right? So okay. it's always the ball getter. And so what I'm saying is, you know, when he came, I was expecting a different type of father, and that's how he's been consistent the same way years and years and years. And so I wonder around the holidays if there's an expectation of the family dynamic being different. It's kind of like everything's in your face, all your past, all your present, and all the future tripping also of the relationships that are going on. Can it be different what is it going to be like and those expectations that everybody's going to get along and everything is going to be great this holiday mm. and everything's going to be different. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. But again, that goes back to the basic conceit that we said, which is that if we learn how to not get stuck in the mind concept and the mind constructs, we can be there as much as we can. But 
I'm going to go back. Hashtag family is more trouble than they're worth. Uh, you know, I just really feel that with family. Like we end up putting this incredible, it flashed my mind for a second. Our producer, Ian Hamilton, he has a brother named Michael, wonderful name. And, um, and his, yeah, the, the guy in the chair, what's his name? Oh, Kevin. Kevin. Oh, Kevin. Uh, maybe because I had sex with a Kevin once. Nice guy. There only was one night. Friend of a friend of my ex, actually, in Forest Hills. He's hearing this now. Anyway, this getting, Kevin. He's getting cut. <laughs> uh, no, you can't cut Kevin. His brother, Kevin. So I was, I was thinking families were trouble than they're worth. Ian's brother, Kevin, is phenomenal. I saw an Instagram of him. He's a force of nature. I watched him. And I thought, isn't it wonderful that there are certain pockets of family that we invest our time and energy and love towards and give to because they give back and they're extraordinary people. So when I say families are trouble than they're worth, I think most are, but I think the social constructs that we're supposed to and give at the detriment of us, I think is important to discern, to understand. Absolutely. And, you know, my grandmother was really, she was not a nice lady, but the one thing that she used to say and the one legacy that she passed down to me is she used to say about my mother, I love her, but I don't like her. And sometimes it's really understanding that you love these people, but you may not like them. And that's actually okay. That was a line my ex-husband gave me when we broke up. (laughs) (laughs) There is nothing I won't say. Yeah, no, it's true. He said, I, you know, I I love you, but I don't know if I really like you. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is completely fine, I think, getting clear on who it is in your in your in your life, out even outside your family, who you don't want to be around. It's okay to not want to be around your family. It it's really is. more than okay. Mm-hmm. We actually we actually encourage you to say just because they're family, you don't have to sacrifice and put up. Ugh. Yeah. No. Yeah, I know. Because no. like a lot shit, of them are, are fucking assholes. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I know a lot of dads that are fucking assholes. My mother was a fucking bitch. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm glad she's dead. Mm-hmm. Thank you for everything, but I'm really glad you're dead. Mm-hmm. It's okay to say that. And I know for some people, they're like, oh my God. I'm like, Really? Right. A lot of people love when I say I'm glad my mother's dead. Mm. Well, that's a good place to end it. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even segue off of that. Hey, so we know there was a lot of information in this last episode. So if you'd like to reach out to us, we're at stripthepodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to leave us a voicemail about what's going on in your life, 201-685-0828. 